Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams. And remember, if you or work for a company looking to expand its reach in esports, Esports Network has opportunities across digital media, podcasting, and video programs. Please reach out to Esports Network CEO Mark Timmig using the email in the bio of this show if you're interested in learning more. Welcome into another episode. We're rapidly approaching 200 here on the Esports Network podcast, and I've got a great guest for you all today. It's Nick DeRazio, Director of Corporate Strategy for Invent Global. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, man. I'm happy to be here, Mitch. Uh, I love doing these type of things. I love any sort of esports podcast. I mean, honestly, I just love when people are talking about esports, so very happy to be here. Me too, and I'm stoked to get another journalist on the show. I think these are often our best conversations. For people unfamiliar with Invent Global, I don't know why you would be, but it's the global branch of Invent Korea, a site that's been covering esports for nearly two decades now, as Korea has led the world when it's come to the, the country's focus on esports for the past two decades. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Invent Global covers almost all of gaming and esports, from League to Smash to everything in between. As director of corporate strategy, Nick is both a key piece of Invent Global's long-term plans, as well as one of the leading journalists on the site. And like all good esports journalists, he covers a wide variety of topics. Over the past few weeks, he's covered GameStop stock, jewelry for gamers, a non-binary Apex Legends character, esports investment news, and plenty more gaming and esports stories. He's also the creator of Invent Culture, a vertical that highlights esports fashion, cosplay, and art. And it's one of my favorite parts of the site, for sure. His main focus is on improving esports content to create high quality content that also brings in views. It's definitely a focus I can get behind as well. And we're going to be talking about his work at Invent, the esports content world at large and what it needs and what's coming next for esports in general and especially esports content. Wow, that is an incredible intro. It's incredible. How did you even do that? I can't even imagine. It's uh, 175 episodes in. I'm getting getting better and better about it. I mean, shoot, that I mean, it's like one of those things. You know how like everything appears like simpler than it is. Hearing you do that big long intro, I realize, man, like people who talk just professionally on the mic, that's a really hard job. (laughs) It's just like wow. (laughs) Anyways, uh, hi everyone. Really happy to be here, Mitch. Really happy, Nick. I appreciate that. I do. I do. I try to put some work into it. I mean, shoot, I couldn't do that. I don't think I could say in, the, in this and this and this. I mean, uh, all of those things are true, right, about what I've done. I think it's really cool to hear them, right? Um, I think something that a lot of people who have been uh, creating esports content for a long time, I mean, this is a burnout-filled like uh, industry. It's a burnout-filled space. It's so easy to get lost in the woods and just – cover every single bit of tournament recaps every single player interview god god uh, player interviews please spare me right i have a whole just don't even oh, get me started on those i just but, finished know, one we can well, I mean, we can absolutely talk about that i mean yeah uh i mean i'm not saying that it's a bad idea to talk to players but like you know there's so much other stuff that's going on in esports and that is uh my pride and joy at movement culture it's it's definitely become one of my favorite parts of our company, one of my favorite parts of just Inven, um, it really came down to, and I think it's an interesting story as to where 
I think esports is headed, especially esports audiences. The reason I really knew that I wanted to create this site that was focused on, you know, cosplay, art, fashion is because I actually used to work with uh, professional cosplayers all the time. Um, I was managing their booths. I was doing their photo shoots. I was helping them with their costumes. I was, you know, traveling with them just all over to um, convention and convention and convention. And what I realized is that, you know, these cosplayers, they have a level of competitive fandom that, in my opinion, is equivalent to esports. I think if people are trying to capture this lightning in, you know, like a bottle, how do we use esports to like magnify audience attention on certain products and goods, right? Like, well, look at cosplay, because in my you know, experience, it's a very competitive group. Everyone wants to be the best looking version of that a video game character. And really, real talent goes in. I mean, like people get into that flow state when they're making these costumes, when they're designing them. And like, you know, people are actual blacksmiths who like make shields and like swords <laughs> just so they can look as accurate as possible. And then there's contests. There's tournaments and there's competitions. There's world famous cosplayers that are in magazines and get money because they constantly win. And I just have seen these competitive crowds all gather around this obsession, this fandom of gaming. And I think that esports has for some time now been wrongly um, attributed to, oh, it's sports fans and it's their approach to like uh, video games, right? Like, oh, if, well, if you were born with a football in your hand instead of a video game controller, you'd like football, but you like esports. I mean, yes, I suppose, but look at sports. They don't just rely on people who are diehard, you know, competitive junkies. They don't just rely on fans who like to study the plays and analyze stats. Like there is some lessons we can learn from sports. And I think a big part of that is focusing on all of the fun fandom, all the fun uh, arts and crafts, you know, like fan made signs, cosplays, fashion outfits and all that cool stuff. You know, aesthetic PC hardware, uh, gamer rigs you know, battle stations. These are ways in which competitive nerds and ultimate gamers express themselves. So that's really what type of content I'm trying to push in the future for esports. I want it to be more of that and less of the same. I love that. I love that. Esports is so unique and, and you bring up sports and how sports is takes on a level of everything that goes around it is very interesting. And that's going to be very obvious this weekend when the Super Bowl happens and American football, mm -hmm. 100 million people are going to watch that. Maybe 10 million really care about football, 20, mm -hmm. and the rest are watching for commercials. They're, they're watching to eat snacks all Sunday. They're watching for the yep. halftime show, whatever that yep. looks like. That's where sports exists. And it's also where esports is definitely going. And with more uh, focus on the different things that come around with culture, the 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 awesome sneakers that are that uh, are made yeah. that come out with like uh, like Overwatch characters or Overwatch designs or esports designs, even that's yeah. the kind of stuff that is so cool to me. And I think we're gonna see, and we are seeing more and more of it in esports. And places like Invent Culture have really done a great job of highlighting it. Well, yeah, and, and you know, it's the expression of these fandoms, right? It's it's more than just like individual posturing, right? Like, yes, in my home right now, as I look around, I'm surrounded by video game art and video game fan art and all my favorite games, right? There, there's one aspect of it is that I like to be um, around the things that 
I enjoy and the art that I like. But the other act and why esports and gaming is certainly headed towards being expressed through the culture of fashion, the culture of art and music. And I do think eventually um, decor, we're already seeing that with you know, R slash battle stations and the aesthetic gaming uh, movements, right? Um, you, you see that there is, um, how do you put this? There's an underlying set of core, um, this is how I can experience this esport, right? This is how I can experience this game. And if I meet someone who has that shared, oh, I also like to experience this game in this way. I also like to experience this fandom in this way. That builds friendship. That builds like meaningful um, communities. And then these communities are the people that go towards your conventions, that go to your tournaments, right? It's the same way in which every good football a culture in your, your city usually has a bar like associated with it or like an after game bars or like big, you know, a downtown hubs. It's because it's more than just the game and esports is constantly. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before we hit uh, on record. Esports is always worried about its revenue stream, right? Where are we going to get this revenue from? And, you know, the answer is simple. Get more people interested in esports and find more ways to maximize the esports a user experience. We've already learned from Starbucks that people will be fine with paying $4 more for coffee because it feels like an experience and it feels worth it and it's a nice thing. People will be fine paying more for esports if we find out how to make it a premium experience, how to make it something that lets them experience more things than just, you know, like not to throw shade, the same talking head style analyst people uh, hurriedly uh, commenting over you know, like an esports match and that being it, that's the height of how you can experience your love for this game and, and the players. And this goes for, you know, any major esport. I think it all rings true. I definitely agree. And it was actually something that I don't know if you would have seen this play out in the way I was hoping to with the Activision mm-hmm. Blizzard franchise leagues and the way they went um, from city to city and how that yeah. really never took off because of COVID. And I think yeah. both leagues have their own set core issues but what i was really excited for was to see how all these different teams in all these different cities started running events and and Mm. the different things that popped up around those events like you mentioned the the bar that that people Mm. all gather in what is the lasting impact of being able to go city to city and start really putting roots of fandom down that was something i was really excited to see and we never really got to see it well I'll tell you this now. Um, the Overwatch League was a really, uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me. I think it was like a crystal ball being a journalist and covering that. It allowed me to see into the future of esports because I covered every day of season one. I was there in person at the at the arena, didn't miss a match, and I interviewed so many of the players, the fans. I was just there. Most importantly, I was there. And what I learned is that the atmosphere is very fun when you're waiting in line. It's very fun when you're shuffling in and you're in the gift store. And it's fun when you sit down and the and the teams walk in. But after that, it becomes like a strictly worse Twitch viewing experience <laughs> than if you were just you're at your right. house. And, 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 you know, it's like I've seen this by, like, I, I know this. This isn't an opinion. This is a fact. And it was exhausting showing up there, even for the super fans. And I saw them dwindle slowly and slowly. 
But to your point, the resurgence, what made it all worth it is when the local a gamer bar or a college, you know, or a student a union or whatever realized, hey, let's do an after um, event thing or let's do a pre-event thing or let's start having these team homesteads, right? Like the problem is because they were ran by small teams and, you know, who didn't really, there was a lot of concerns about just like safety and things like that. Cause you know, it's a blizzard. They are a big corporation and they need to have it really spick and span. Cause it's like a game for teens and all that. Um, they were way too a uh, closed doors, right? If more people knew that these regional fan meetups and things were happening, more people would come, but they didn't quite know how to uh, market it. So, you know, I will say that I am agree COVID has put a stop on a lot of that, right? It's hard to even continue with that. But I'll also say that, you know, it's too little too late when it comes to something like the Overwatch League and the massive investment that was. You know, it's sad when you think about how many millions of dollars they put into that arena and the teams and each of those orgs and all those investors, you know, paying, what, $20 million per league spot, the like player salaries, all of that. It's sad to think that at the end of the day, the thing that had the most, in in my opinion, potential and scale and was doing the most community good was what resembled grassroots esports, what resembled right. if they had never done the league at all and if they just made Overwatch a very friendly, you know, public API game in which people would love to build a custom, a tailor-made esport that the community accepts. But we didn't get that. We said we got a league and it, you know, it, it didn't... I mean, yes, it, it did work out. It's hard to say it didn't work out, but it it just wasn't to anyone's expectations. It's still running at the very least, yeah. but... Uh, I mean, yeah. it is, yeah. The $20 million investments, that was for, for some of the startup franchise. Some of the expansion franchise reportedly up to 40 to $50 million, uh, for yeah. some of those teams, uh, according to an ESPN report. So it's a yeah. ton of money invested. And basically two, three years after the game came out, it was like, okay, mm-hmm. we are, we're going to plant our claim that we're going to be the biggest eSport in the world. And yep. anything because of the buy-ins that we placed, especially at the same time that Riot Le- that Riot Games is collecting their buy-ins for LCS uh, at the first mm-hmm. 2017, and that's 10 million. You're saying, yep. "Hey, we're going to be bigger than Leak, and you're paying the money to be bigger, or at least yep. like on par from the jump." And clearly, they didn't reach those expectations. And now, last report I saw was that they are looking to, uh, they're all the the team owners are asking for for cutbacks on their buy-ins and i mean yeah we've seen some i mean some of the teams have just like sold the brand right like they've just sold the team like yeah like la valiant this week yeah yeah you know and it's it is incredible to see but at the same time like it's not completely um, unexplainable because if you look at something like league of legends you know the competitive community for that runs very deep and it's a very long esport. It's been like an esport for an extremely long time. Even before Riot has ever put on any event, colleges in South Korea were putting on major a League of Legends tournaments, right? And these were the I didn't players know that, that That's cool. would then become, yeah, the best in the world. Well, this is what Inven was doing. Um, Inven was putting on these tournaments. Inven was doing the news for these tournaments. They were the ones who were broadcasting it. So, you know, part of what paints a lot of my opinions about how the esports industry is going to expand and evolve in the West is that our experience in Inven 
Korea and South Korea, I almost view it as like a Petri dish at times. It's like a smaller, much smaller in terms of the country and the audience, just kind of sample size of this is how an esports audience reacts to things. And this is what they'll pay for. And this is the type of engagement that works. And yes, obviously I know there's cultural um, differences, but there's also the element of time. You know, uh, the South Korean esports consumer has been marketed at and sold and made into an identifiable and easily acceptable audience niche for like the past 20 to 15 years, right? Like people are easily and quicker to label themselves as a gamer and as such be open to the products, be open to a gamer experience or, you know, something like that. So I see those same things happening in the U.S. more and more people. I, I think actually, if you want to look at a practical example, I think it's the gamer chair. I think we're seeing a like resurgence <laughs> of uh, gaming furniture um, in the West, which actually um, aligns with what a lot of other uh, market um, analysts have been saying just about the U.S. economy in general because of COVID. Uh, furniture is on the up and up because more people are staying inside, more people are investing in the homes, more people are saying, all right, if I'm going to stay at home all day, let's make my office nice. So we see esports and all of the good brands, I think they're being smart about it. They're having their new secret lab promotion or their new crossover or, I mean, shoot, Herman Miller, right? All of this right. is, I think, symptoms of the smart people in esports and gaming reading a larger a market dynamics from outside of esports and then uh, connecting the dots and kind of uh, translating, okay, well, this is what this means for esports. This is how we move in the gaming direction to catch that wave. You bring up a really interesting point with the mention of Herman Miller specifically. And, yeah. and I wrote one of my favorite articles talking about that and sort of why some of the gaming chairs uh, have been recommended. And now a lot of the gaming chair brands are doing a good job of making them more organic as now the people yeah. are demanding that a little bit more and less uh less pure marketing and flashiness but yeah. especially in the fashion world we've seen so many oh, yeah. of these major brands enter into gaming with new strategies you oh, yeah. see louis vuitton in, in a very public spot at the league of legends world finals and then fun plus mm -hmm. phoenix wins and they've got nike on the jersey and that was kind of a moment to me where it's like uh, an esports team with nike on the jersey raising a louis vuitton branded trophy is like yeah. Oh, this is kind of a new world we've entered in just For in sure. the last few years or so. Where where does that overlap continue to expand to? Because it really feels yeah. like esports brands, especially with the creation of streetwear like yeah. 100 Thieves, for example, a mm -hmm. FaZe Clan, where they're becoming their own streetwear brands as well. The fashion yeah. and gaming worlds are very close together, getting closer and closer every month, it feels like. Uh, G2 and Adidas this past month is your yep. big partnership. So where is that? How is that parallel going to keep going? Maybe it's not even a parallel. Yeah. Maybe they're getting closer no, and closer so, together. So I think it's, uh, there's definitely a parallels there. And actually I think maybe the more accurate word is a, a transvergence, right? Like these, these two uh, sectors, you know, both gaming and esports and fashion, they're always um, colliding quick, right. um, quick street fashion lesson, right? Uh, street fashion was born from uh, skateboarders and, and bikers and and hoopers right and and people on on the street people doing active things people who um society in large thought were okay maybe you're kind of miscreants or maybe you're not up to you know like what you're just some street kid like what are you doing right 
And, you know, this coupled with all sorts of other factors. But that's really where you got some of the iconic looks. And I think esports has a lot of similar cultural earmarks to um, the same sort of, you know, skateboard and and actually uh, competitive a BMX movement and, you know, how Vans became an overnight, you know, huge force in street fashion because it's it's like a niche competitive thing. It is a solo venture. It is something where a lot of kids can find identity, can find, you know, their own sense of expression. And artists and, you know, like the fashion world, they're always trying to lift up those type of communities. Fashion is always drawing inspiration from the outside groups, from the marginal groups. You know, how are people dressing themselves or how do people want to present themselves? And I think as, you know, more and more gamers begin to realize that, you know, gaming is something that is in the public eye now. When I game, I stream. People see me. When I game, I want to let people know that I'm a gamer when I go to a party. So I would love to wear some Twitch merchandise or, you know, like just even the very a concept of wearing a team liquid hoodie and being able to enter a shared space with nerds and be able to immediately connect. Oh, wow. I'm someone who, yes, I define myself as a gamer, but I push back on that trope that gamers don't care about how they look. They don't care about fashion. They don't care about quality garments and things like that. So, you know, we see these Louis Vuittons and these uh, Gucci a crossovers as well as other you know brands but we see them because fashion's always trying to find what are the hooks into the next generation and i think more non-endemic esports uh sectors will also come to that same conclusion right uh we already have seen it be hugely unsuccessful selling snacks you know like red bull and cup of noodles mm-hmm. right some of yeah. these brands have done very great um esports activations because you know it uh, makes sense. Their product um, aligns with the ideal gamer lifestyle or or esports lifestyle. So fashion, you know, there's so many brands you can mention that maybe their strategy is practical. This hoodie's made for gamers because it has big headphone rooms and it has deep pockets and right or or there was actually some shorts I I wrote about. A uh, point three. These shorts help you with sweaty hands. They're made out of a towel, a wicking material. So when you're gaming, you can easily wipe your hands on your shorts, right? This is just very small examples of all of the different ways. And really that sort of thinking is what people get excited about when you talk about generating more esports revenue um, opportunities. There are tons of opportunities in this space for brands that understand it and want to see it. Uh, Quick note on the extreme sports parallel. Absolutely very very on brand. In fact, I know yeah. for a fact that it was what Nike used internally uh, to get the company to do work in esports was the parallel oh, yeah. to extreme sports and how well that worked. I yeah. was consulting for them back in the 2017-2018 range. Yeah, uh, wow, and, small world, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And that's that was what pushed it over the edge where it was like, this comparison makes sense and this comparison is something that the upper brass will be able to see and get on board yeah. with even if they don't understand esports they didn't understand extreme sports at the time but it worked and they yeah. gotta trust the the people that this is where culture is going yeah i believe the quote by mark twain it goes history seldom um, repeats itself but it always but it often rhymes or it always rhymes something like that That's i think a good often quote. I like rhymes that quote. is good but yeah you know like 
yeah, it's when you take a bunch of young people and here's the other thing too, right? Let's, let's not give the fashion brands too much like cred. Oh, great. Look at you. You're embracing esports and gaming. Yeah. Only after it's already peaked its head and shown its mainstream uh, marketability, right? Like only right. after we've seen people like Ninja and only after we've seen these mega celebrities and, you know, that's really what's, what's getting people paying attention. There have been people within the esports fashion uh, industry that have been here since day one, that have been here since the early days, right? Like uh, esports does have its own style, um, but it is definitely one that is a mixed mash of all sorts of others. And, you know, we have um, different brands coming out that uh, continue to challenge where um, esports style is headed. I mean, one of, of the most obvious cases is, a clothing for women, right? Like there is barely any esports clothing for women that isn't just t-shirts, right? And you know, the times of some people have tried to do like women uh, esports clothing and failed miserably, right? To the mockery of the entire industry because, you know, (laughs) to many it's, it's a tricky thing to nail. But I think as more gamers take notes from the fashion industry and learn, be a bit humble, I think that problem can be solved easily. I definitely agree. I think there's quite a bit of uh, potential there. And yeah, listening to the gaming community, you're right. It's been a massive influx of brands. And it's really hard to point to early adopters because it feels like a floodgate kind of open. I mean, there's there's the really early adopters, like you mentioned, Monster, Red Bull, mm-hmm. uh, before that Intel, Alienware, you know, your peripherals, the things yeah. that made sense. When it came to non-endemics, I, it's Bud Light. I think the Bud Light All-Stars is like back in like 2011, 2012. I can't, can't totally remember what brands were around back then. But I that was kind that, of, <laughs> yeah, Ninja was what? Ninja the Halo Pro was a, was a Bud Light All-Star. I think that too is something that um, gaming needs to kind of um, own, right? Like say what you want about Ninja or Dr. A Disrespect or, you know, whatever. But the reason they thrive within the mainstream audiences is because it's very clear what they are. It's very, very clear what they are, right? Like it's, they're very, very on brand and they have a very, very clear, I guess, modus of operandi. Um, I think more esports orgs needs to do that. You know, like esports in general needs um, to do that so many people are playing it so safe in esports media and you know maybe it's because you know the first um alumni of people who are uh, nerdy enough to even write about competitive gaming back when none of this mattered and we were so small haha self dig right like i don't <laughs> think i don't think those people are just by nature the most you know daring or i don't know the most shocking right and yet that is where the internet is headed. It's where um, everything is headed, right? Like if you start, like, I think um, Kotaku gets a lot of flack by people, right? But the reason Kotaku gets flack for people is because those people don't understand the media or digital media. When, if you look at um, Kotaku articles, they're so inflammatory at times and they make such absurd claims, but you know, they're just people's opinions. Like how can you blame um, Kotaku? They're literally just giving a mouthpiece for this is how people think nowadays. So yes, I don't blame Kotaku for, oh my God, why would you publish this? Why would people write this? And yet it is what people write and what people read. So I think esports needs to get with the times and and that aspect very quickly. (laughs) 
another another good example of that is Dexerto in in esports, uh, yeah. where they are publishing a bunch of stuff, and it's usually the inflammatory stuff that gets shared a bunch, it gets retweeted yeah. a bunch, and it, it it's so funny watching it happen and watching a a thing get like quote tweet dunked on, and I know their metrics are just going absolutely nuts behind the scenes, and I'm like, of course they're gonna. What you think all these dunks are gonna stop them from doing this? If it's it's a take, it's opinion. As long as it's not false, it's fair yeah. game. And clearly, it's getting people riled up, which yeah. could be a good thing or could be a bad thing. But. Yeah, and also too, you know, like there are people who, like, there's a fine line you have to walk. And um, anyone who's ever written content will know this, as we as do you, Mitch. There's a point in which a story like transcends just being twitch drama right like yes right. there's a lot of right. twitch drama and you know it when you see it it's kind of a lazy shortcut but it's really sometimes the best way to to explain that you know there is no clear-cut rules anymore it's just my intuition you can tell when someone is, is just gossip but then there's also moments where the story becomes so big it has bigger implications for twitch as a platform it has bigger implications for what is allowed or what is permitted or what is accepted socially via live streaming, right? Like, so you really have to, in my um, opinion too, esports writers and gaming writers who are in the position to understand the facts, probably more so than most journalists, to understand the context of what's being said, to understand the community. It's up to us to up those standards of reporting, to make these very quality articles, to make this so, you know, a rock solid that when the general audience comes in, because yeah, it's drama. It's the biggest story. They're able to see esports media playing with the rest of the big dogs. And, you know, that's obviously a hard ask. It takes kind of a, a high level of professionalism, which is often not found in esports, but I'm very, very <laughs> encouraged by all of the young talent and all of the, how much interest and activity there is around esports careers and, the young people who are seeking those opportunities. It definitely feels like the next crop of people entering this industry has a lot of training in this. There's, I, I go to, so I cover a lot of college esports programs and I see that most of them have shoutcasting. They have people mm -hmm. doing video packages based on this. Even my alma mater, Duck TV at, at University yeah. of Oregon, did not have any esports, anything when I was there, a League of Legends club yeah. and that was it. Uh, and now they have a whole like arena basically in the center of campus. Yeah. They have a sports marketing uh, pathway for people who want to mm -hmm. study that for master's students. And then the student TV network, which I was a part of now has duck TV esports. So they do shout casting, they do video coverage, they write articles. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that's going to, and that's happening around the country as well. That's the kind of stuff that's going to start creating a new crop of journalists that yeah. are, are willing to take that extra step, look for the added angle, uh, because a lot of esports media right now is phoned in, like like it is. Yeah, That's and part totally. of it's really hard, large quotas. I think we should we should be clear to that. Like it's not all the journalists' fault. It's sometimes the media company's fault if they ask for ten thousand words in a week or something like that. Uh, you're gonna. I, mean, get... I blame management. I blame management right. every time. Right? Like these writers need some sort of direction. What you see, and I, I've worked in so many different sites, and I've seen it a lot. You know, sometimes I'm just a writer, so I don't really have much say. But um, other times when I do, it's you know, like I always push back. I feel like a, a lot of the older um, journalists have already been through a lot of the worst of it, of the shadiest. But yeah, you have these 
these media companies or these websites that they only know the most basic um, dynamic between content and views, which is more content equals more views. It's like, well, yes, that is correct. But, you know, that's not very sustainable when you're operating in esports on uh, esports budgets and when, you know, the rest of the industry is essentially doing the same thing. I do think we have a lack of a creative, you know, fun content, a lighthearted content. There's so little esports content that that offers, you know, a way to enjoy the game in ways other than just, to be frank, the bored and a little bit stale, a melodrama of like players' opinions, players' perspective on like team movements. It's like, it's so like old hat. And yet that's all anyone writes about. Uh, meanwhile, you look at communities like the Overwatch League, right? I think the Overwatch community has been in like open um, rebellion against the Overwatch esport ever since its yeah. inception. Most personified by the Overwatch Reddit being a separate subreddit than the Overwatch competitive subreddit, right? So how come, like, wh- why isn't there is so little content, written content, really high level content about strategy of Overwatch? You know, how to win at Overwatch. We see these uh, legendary content creators like Day9, who created his StarCraft, you know, uh, training videos. And we know how how integral those videos were to keeping StarCraft as a top esport because it teaches people how to love the esport. And yet no one is doing that. It's because it's hard to do. You need to be good at the game and you need to be a good writer. And it takes time. It takes an esports media company that understands the value and says, hey, you don't need to put out nine articles in the next four days because I know you're working on that exhaustive guide on Reaper. Like that matters. And you need to have the people and the managers in those journalists court. But it's hard to do that. I I think that gets to something that's really core to what I've been thinking about the last week or two, which is what are we catering our content for? Are we catering for people who want to watch an esport or who want to play that esport? And esports, it's it's like 20 to 1 for maybe even more for people who are playing a game versus watching a game. I remember once the Call of Duty around the the finals of the last Call of Duty finals, I think they got like 300,000 viewers. Meanwhile, Warzone claimed they had 100 million like players in one month and it's just like yeah who do you think activision blizzard's catering towards why are we catering towards the drama between 100 thieves and optic even though i find that interesting as well as a fan of cdl but isn't the real isn't what's really going to capture an audience the how am i how do i get better at warzone you know not just what loadouts are better but like in-depth strategy guides where like you know there's there's opportunities for content that is focused on players, not on viewers. Yeah. And think about it too. You know, it's a concept um, that I've, that I've read before. And I think it um, rings true is, you know, these social media uh, platforms, they're, they're influencing the way communities engage with content and each other. It's no secret that the esports industry and a lot of its fans live on Twitter. And it's also no secret that Twitter is, very infamous for having bubbles, you know, like you're in your own a Twitter bubble and that's your group and you only get fed that same group and you're only given, you know, suggestions on who to follow. And it's hard um, to get out. I mean, is it no surprise that probably the majority of esports content creators are stuck in their own Twitter bubble in which league fans aren't really hearing about other esports uh, other than league and 
Call of Duty fans aren't really hearing about other esports other than Call of Duty. And yet the crossover potential of all of these esports is huge. Like if you love one esport, you are the ideal target for any other esport because you've already you're like already all in. You already love the concept. You already love competitive gaming. You you already have been taught to respect gameplay at the highest level. And, you know, we're not there yet. A lot of these strategies require sophistication that um, either esports media companies don't have the budget for, don't have the staff for, don't have the experience for. But mostly it's they don't have the scalability to really capture the esports audience. But, you know, that's changing as more people raise capital and as more people do survive this industry, you know, the more secure it gets. You could tell how long somebody's been in esports by how they uh, how they frame it with words like survive and the, yeah, the industry because yeah. you start to feel it. You start to feel it. There, this That's industry survival. has is not consistent necessarily. We all know it's going to grow. Like I don't think anybody has any debates about that. But yeah. especially for the people who have been in this industry for a long time, it's like they've seen so many people enter it and leave it at, at various points. Uh, and it's it's hard. It's hard to to create a successful thing but it's also where we need to look at the people that have been in this industry like nick uh for quite a long time uh, who could provide some good guidelines for where this industry is going and what's a realistic expectation for esports next year in three years in five years lay down the road i think that's yeah uh, probably a good place to wrap up this up this yeah, podcast for sure. nick, uh, well you know it's a also perfect opportunity for me to plug uh my next big virtual esports event so i'm in the global puts on esports um, networking events our next is on february 25th it's the esports investment summit you can just go to invenglobal.com slash investment summit find that link or you can you know find us on linkedin whatever go to our site um and it's gonna have a huge uh, market update that uh, goes over all of what i'm about to say um, at length, right? We're going to have Newzu there, um, Liquipedia there, uh, Nico Partners there, Streamer Charts, a ton of uh, data leaders. So huge market updates there. Please, please check that out. And where do I think the esports industry is headed? Well, for one, I think the esports industry is headed in the predictable a direction of its biggest uh, home runs. And what I mean by that is Think about the Marshmallow concert in Fortnite or uh, Travis Scott and his promotion of his music through Fortnite. Or think of what's happening with Roblox, right? Or um, the Brawl Stars is a mobile game. But if you look up the Brawl Stars um, World Championships in YouTube, it almost has like 38 million views, right? Um, there are forces in esports that are much, much larger than people's understanding. And it's mostly because the only people who write about esports do so from personal experience. We write about the games we love, and most people who are of age to search for a job aren't necessarily playing Roblox or Brawl Stars at this level, right? But there are those people, and I highly encourage you uh, to start creating content for those consumers. Um, I think we're going to see those groups, those young groups, the people who view uh, mobile gaming, not as a downgrade, but as their preferred uh, platform, these are the power users, uh, they are going to forge community through esports in the same way that the PC community did, in the same way that uh, you know the Blizzard fan base did, the Halo players did, right? But this um, community is going to be much larger because social media by then will have, uh, will have advanced. Um, our ability to self-select our groups to 
control the bubbles we're in for content to be undelivered to us more efficiently. All of that is going to increase, not to mention with a 5G internet speeds and, you know, the, uh, the bandwidth bubble, which once that bursts, who knows what the internet will do. You still have these games and this pastime of competitive gaming. And I'd also say lifestyle gaming um, that will continue being a source of culture for the newest generation, this a digital um, generation. And as it is their source of culture, will continue to be a source of expression. And when something is a source of expression, it is a stream for product. It is a stream for consumer goods. It is a stream to sell consumer um, experiences. So look at Taiwan. Look at China. Look at the way in which flocks of young people hang around their Starbucks and cafes and play mobile games all day. And look at how the cafes you know, charge them hourly for the highest speeds, which gives them a like reliable income. And look at how there's, uh, you know, bundles for meals and stuff when they provide high Wi-Fi, right? We already see the way that this young um, digital generation prefers to socialize around gaming. It's just a matter until these customs are all around the world as well as the West. So, those are kind of my broad strokes. That's my true predictions where this industry is headed and where we're going to see gaming culture. Uh, absolutely beautiful wrap up. As always, look towards Asia to see where esports is headed. Korea for so long, China's investment uh, across yep. esports, you mentioned Taiwan as well. There's so much there uh, that is just growing and is just going to be oh, yeah. absolutely massive. Oh, uh, yeah. You met. You mentioned the generational gap as well. And there's something that I noticed uh, over Christmas, you know, very small, seller, mm-hmm. like not getting together with anybody, but I did get to see my younger cousin. He's like eight mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Kid grew up with a smartphone. He is yeah. nuts at games on it. I can't play yep. Fortnite on mobile. No chance. Yeah. I. It's not the, the medium I grew up on. He can't. He could do stuff on his mobile phone gaming wise that I never thought would be possible on a mobile phone. And it's that generation is going to, everyone's going to have one and they're going to be nuts at these games. And it's going to be like you mentioned, it's not like the, the ugly stepchild of PC games or console esports. It's, it's the future of, of esports and especially in a lot of other regions, a lot of underdeveloped regions uh, as well. Oh yeah. India, Brazil. Think about a tablets too, right? Are you really, really trying to say that there's not going to be a tablet that's high powered enough with a sensitive enough, a touchscreen that is so responsive? Are you really trying to say that having all 10 of your fingertips having access to that control scheme, is that really not a better and optimal way of control over uh, a keyboard and mouse, right? You've already seen players on tablet, uh, um, outperform and sometimes have higher um, actions per second on Fortnite using uh, tablets. And, you know, these are things that no one expects, but, you know, to think that uh, esports will always live on the highest level through controllers and mice, it, it's just short-sighted. So, yeah, I agree full yeah. scale, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great point. Nick, this was an absolute pleasure having you on. Such great insights. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'll be sure to put a link to the investment Summit, that investment summit? 
Yes, it's the eSports Investment Summit. You can go to www.invenglobal.com slash investment summit. And also uh, part of our like market update is an entire um, presentation on the Asian eSports market and those consumers' preferences. It's Guys, it's going to be great. You're Pay attention to, to the Asian uh, Asian esports market. It yeah. is it's massive. It, it's it's absolutely it's comically massive. Like <laughs> especially compared to where we're at in the West. So it's definitely something everybody in esports media needs to be looking at. And I'll put that link to the Invent Global Summit and all those other resources right underneath this show, so you don't even have to click off the page you're on right now. You can just click on the link, hop over to that sign up. I know I'll be signing up as well. This was awesome, Nick Dorazio, Director of Corporate Strategy for Invent Global. Nick, a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Hope I can do this again sometime. Oh, you're coming back. Yeah, You have too good of insights <laughs> to not come back. You can't get out of it now. You've done it awesome. once. Now you're stuck. Awesome. I'm in the cult. Let's do it. Pass, <laughs> Let's me, do it. pass me the Kool-Aid. Aye, aye. All right. See you later, man. See you, man. Oh, and also check out Nick's guest page. He's going to have his Twitter, his LinkedIn as well, if he wants to include that. Uh, but be sure to follow him. Be on the lookout for his work at InBen uh, through InBen Culture and all the other verticals that he covers. Have a great weekend, everybody. This will be published on Friday. And on Monday, I'll have another episode with you. And I'm trying to remember who that's with. I believe it's with Mainline, uh, talking a little bit college esports and their upcoming esports event. So be on the lookout for that show coming on Monday.